for me to install a solar system, I'm, I'm going to need some sort of storage for cloudy days. Where, where do you see us in that transition for battery storage? Where are we and what has to happen to make that a, a really significant reality for the industry? I think it's in the beginning stages right now, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would equate storage to be 2004 of the solar industry, yeah, right? There is a couple technologies out there. We know they're all going to shake out. But I think I would want to add something in there for HDPB. It is proven with the distributed architecture. Um, so being able to do some stuff out on the panel array, it, it has the potential to really benefit your energy storage. Uh, because most of the storage systems today anyways, some of the additional cost, you have to have some type of converter in there because at the end of the day, there aren't really high volume storage inverters out there. There are high volume PV inverters. There are high volume AC motor drives. They're not high volume storage inverters. So you have to have a, a handshake. And that's what they call the BMS, the battery management system. And again, we haven't tackled it yet as a committee, but the nature of what AMP can do and what you can do with your controllers and, and inverters, that makes it easier for us to step in the battery market world. But as it stands right now, I'm not going to prognosticate on batteries other than to say that if I truly wanted a startup environment where I could go through three or four jobs before I found one, I'd go into the storage industry right now, and I kind of like my gig. <laughs> I don't want to do it yet. So I just think we're going to have to wait for high volume automobiles or some other technology breakthrough. But I mean, I can bridge sort of that question and the previous question, which is to say that, and, and David mentioned a handshake, you know, there's the technology handshake, which is in large part what HDPV is about, whether it's directed, you know, inverter and distributed or whether it's directed towards storage. Um, I mean, the other handshake is the financial world with the technology world. And so we've seen innovative, uh, innovative financing packages. Uh, financiers are looking more at solar now as an infrastructure investment. So they're looking at solar and renewables and gas pipelines and toll roads, all as being infrastructure deals, a place to put you know your money that will return a steady and predictable income. And that's a that's a success for us as a market. So uh, you know storage. Or any any one technology will be evaluated. What does it cost, and what do I get for it? Uh, and that's that's the way it should be. Talking about the financing, I was just at the True Solar breakfast before I came over here, and their goal is to bring financiers and sort of talk to them about the stability, because that's what the financiers want more than anything else: is a stable investment that they know is going to give them a return before they'll go ahead and invest in it. So talk to me about how we convince the financiers that this is not a fly-by-night industry. It's well, something our, that's here to stay. Our very next project will be ensuring that the sun comes out every day. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so stay tuned for that press release. Um, reliability is a word everyone uses, but it, it, it actually means something. And so, you know, I know it companies that we work with take it very seriously and, and work hard at it. It means different things to different people. So, um, so getting you know getting the product right is one thing. Again, I think as the, the industry pro probably has hit the turning point, as David said. We just had a billion dollars in residential financing in the last 45 days. I mean, how many more financiers do you need? Right? I, I'd say more. But <laughs> I, I'm really amazed no one's making more noise about it. It's a billion dollars for residential solar. Who's counting distributed commercial? Who's counting, you know, who's billion dollars in financing? And these guys aren't from like Wachovia Bank, right? They're from Wells Fargo. They're, you know, JP Morgan Chase. So I think we just need to fall across the finish line, really. Yeah. And, and we're in the shakeup period. So how do you answer that question? Watch who shakes out. 
Yeah. And they're shaking. That's okay. the other thing too is what he was saying is reliability and there's also bankability, right? So when these banks are looking at this project, they're thinking of bank bankable companies. Who's yeah. bankable in this industry? And right now we're at a point where it's a race to the bottom line for the yeah. price and it's it's a, who's got the best balance sheet. So how do you have the best price but the best balance sheet? That's going to be the game changer right there. From your perspective, when, how long do you think this shakeout's going to take? Do you think it's going to last beyond 2016 when the ITC magically is here or goes away? Uh, Europe's already off 50% of their volume. They can't wait till 2016. They're already dying. Uh, so, you know, I'd say two years. Yeah. Typical cycle. We're, we're a year and change into it, two more. We'll be cycled out. Uh, but, you know, to emphasize this point, I'm launching products, you're launching products. Never before in my career have I had a line item that said, financially bankable presentation, right? Two levels, you know, tier one, tier two. It's part of a product launch now is to actually go into the customer and say, here's how much money I have in the bank, and here's it certified by a third party. That's, that's a regular part of business today, and that's part of the inflection that's changed. So you could never start a company uh, like, like it's been started a couple years ago again. It's over. I mean, it, we're at that crunch time. And yet you're sort of bringing it back to the HDPB mission is, you know, we can't solve everything, but one thing we can help with is a set of standards so that as good companies come and go, um, customers know that there will be someone who can meet the standard to take their place. Can I say something directly about inverters? Do you mind? Sure. So we haven't focused on this at all, but... You know, when you look at the inverter, it's, it's a fairly expensive piece of equipment. It's the part that usually breaks and everyone yells at. So we're ignoring a whole technical angle here, and that's perfectly fine, but I would like to make just a couple statements. Most of the inverters today that are on the market are over-designed, they're, they're, and they're, that's because of the regulatory body. So there's a lot of headroom in these inverters that you could do some stuff with. And I made the image, I think it was last week, where I said, take an old three-speed three transmission and a new six-speed transmission, bolt them to the same motor, see what drives better, right? Mm -hmm. And so what, what we're trying to do here is take that six-speed transmission, bolt it to an inverter, and all of a sudden the inverter works better. And then that allows you to have some really interesting flexible design choices. As you go to design a platform out, making the smallest decision to include another five to seven percent overhead on a piece of magnetics, literally that small. Five to seven percent margin. I want that much more overhead. Instead of my 25, I want 36. It's going to allow me to get potentially another 20 or 30% more power out of the inverter. So, I mean, going back to my choke points in my inverter, I'll, I'll tweak them a little. Knowing I have this and all of a sudden I get, you know, I get another 10 miles of the gallon and, and I get another 50 horsepower. Tell me what's wrong with that. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. No, but you got to have a standard to put it all together. And it needs to have enough traction for people like LTI and Keiko and others to say, on my next development cycle, I am going to go do that. I'm going to take that risk. This is real. It's happening. And again, with companies like Scholz, NAMP, and LTI and Keiko, we have track records, we have success, um, we are bankable, and it's just another angle on how do we drive the cost down, how do we get the performance up. And it really is going to shine on the second and third generation inverters that come out, and whatever Scholz works on in their balance of system. So we're just at the forefront, we're already seeing benefits. What's going to happen when we're really into it? It's going to be really, really interesting, really interesting. Now you, were, you brought up an interesting point. We have sort of not talked about the technological aspects of it. Where do you, what is the, what are the two or three breakthrough technologies that have to happen to continue the momentum that we've built up? If you're looking at, I mean, you were talking about inverters and certainly that's absolutely critical. What are some of the other techno, technological breakthroughs that are gonna have to happen 
uh, to continue the momentum that we're. That we're Do they have on. to be technology, or can they be something else? They can be something else. I think you need acceptance of thousand volt mainstream in the U.S. It's just starting to happen. Yeah, um, I think it's going to get there. Quite honestly, I mean, right now we're in Europe where they're delivering fifteen hundred volt inverters. So right. I mean, we're going to get to the point where people are already talking about in the United States, not just alone a thousand volt. Right. But we're already talking about fifteen hundred volt. Yeah. So it's. I agree with him. He's, you know, we have to get to that point where a thousand volts rooftop or ground mount doesn't matter where. Yeah, it's, it's like six. It's six hundred. It's view transparent. And that will make a huge difference. And then there are some other steps, but that's not a technology step. That's a we have everything. When are the people going to accept it? And there's a lot of work in code analysis. There's a lot of work in moving that needle. But the thousand volts on a rooftop design. Anyone who's done any level of analysis shows you that if you can't save thirty percent of your costs, right? Someone ought to whack you, <laughs> right? And then throw you off the roof because it works. Really, there's there's really no difference other than reducing your your balance right. systems as a whole. So why would you not do it? And this takes it a step further. So you just build on the success. That's what it is. I didn't mean to steal your thunder there. No, I mean I think you know what they're talking about is you know it's the technology is involved, but in this in that example, it's an architecture shift. And it's it's a part of the HDPV story, this distributed power architecture, which um, you know allows you to get uh, you know operate at higher voltages, which saves on copper. It saves on uh, you know, voltage drop uh, to uh, save on, on the energy side. So you know I think there's uh, there there's going to be a combination of technology that needs adoption, but architectures that need supporting technology and, and all of that requires uh, you know vision vision of customers and financiers and some will be more risk averse than others um, and those who are kind of at the front end will, will I'm sure get a you know, market advantage and and um, and probably stay ahead everyone wants a, the Ferrari for Chevy, for the Chevy pricing so that's why we bring these groups yep. together like we do brainstorm together as a whole and say how do we do this better so you're able to save 30% on the system Let's, let's get to that point. Let's let's just nix the 600 volts. Let's get to the 1,000 volts and let's move on past that because that, that everyone wants the most output for the least amount of money. Right. I think the, the interesting analogy of, of, of the HDPV alliance is everyone recognizes the balance of system shift from going to 600 to 1,000 volts. Okay, now just imagine you went from 600 to 1,000 volts in HDPV. You get the same thing again in terms of you, you get strings are significantly longer again than you would have had even a thousand volts all this balance of system calculations uh, everybody understands the 600 to a thousand so when we say let's do HDPV then you say you're gonna get it again and they go uh, okay <laughs> so when since Europe is moving to a thousand volts and we're, we're sort of slowly getting there here or is Europe already ahead of us moving beyond a thousand volts well that's yeah. kind of just picking up with Steve so if <laughs> someone now is talking about a 600 volt environment an HDPV system would, would be the equivalent of a thousand volt. If you're talking about a thousand volt standard system, an HDPV equivalent would be 12 or 1500. If you're talking about a 1500 volt standard system, an HDPV system would be like at 18 or 2000. You know, so it's simply changing the paradigm of how the system is designed. You are creating degrees of freedom for system designers that will always be ahead of a standard system series parallel architecture um, that is dependent on the output voltage of uh, and current of a module in standard systems. I would say clearly yes, 
uh, because in, in the, to get to the 1,000 volt environment, one of the constraints was not the inverter, it was other balances system things like disconnects and standards didn't exist. So this standard comes out, UL49B or 498B, whatever, for the disconnects, well they just went to 1,000. How long is it going to get to get a 1,500 volt standard out of UL? UL98B is the standard, so yeah. UL508B as well. But, so yeah. 1,500 in the U.S. on UL standards, I'm not even going to go there because my kid will be in college. Yeah. Um, but Europe is already on the way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so Europe, yeah. Europe's a different attitude, but that has to do with not technology, it has to do with lawyers. Yeah, I mean that's regulation but, of the Yeah, I mean little Johnny can take the electric wire off the PV module in your home that's on your inverter behind your TV with the wire hanging out of it in Europe and stick it on his tongue, and the parents are going to slap him. You spill a hot coffee on your crotch and you sue McDonald's from the U.S. Great. You see the liability difference. So it, things are going to move a little slower with 1500 volts. It's but it's going to come. Europe is a little ahead of us. I would say Asia. So, you know, what we try to, we recognize that there are different standard organizations. It's all over. Different standard organizations that are um, serving a particular function. And the one thing we're really trying not to do at HTVV is create another layer of effort. So if someone has a standard, whether it's, uh, you know, an NEC standard in the U.S. or another, we're not trying to recreate it. If anything, we're trying to make sure that we comply with it or work with them as needed to make everyone's life easier. So we're trying not to add on effort, but to add in inconsistency um, when it comes to, uh, you know, if, 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 if there's another standards organization who has a traction and we come across a point where we can adopt it, we're of course would like to do that. Sure. Because, you know, we, then we, we all know what rules to play by. So, um, you know, one of the organizations that, that um, uh, that uh, does a lot of good work in solar is Sunspin, um, and so you won't see you won't see HDPV trying to create standards uh, where Sunspec is doing a terrific job. Thanks, guys. Uh, this is Frank Andorka from InterSolar North America with members of the HDPV Alliance. Um, I really appreciate their time this morning, and until next time.